Hey, good morning, good morning. Those of you who are online, uh, I understand we're a little bit different online today because we had some problems with our camera. Everything goes wrong on Sunday. And uh, so they decided to update platforms and, uh, you know, we were uninformed. So uh, they're doing it a little differently, but I think you can see everything that's going on. We're glad you're here online joining us. Joshua Generation, welcome. And all of those of you who are here, great to see your smiling faces. Welcome, Joshua Generation. Uh, we have been studying uh, the book of Joshua and looking at uh, what is unique about that. And in our timeline right now, how God has called us to be the Joshua Generation. For all the things that have happened over 2020 and uh, the beginning of 2021, not everybody's uh, year, even in 2021, has gone smoothly. We are regularly hearing of impacts of things that have been taking place in people's lives that have uh, shaken them as a family and crisis situations and all the transition and changes that are taking place around uh, our nation and around the world. Uh, very sobering to see some of the things that, that are happening around us. And in some ways, it can be a little frightening for us to think about uh, how dramatically things have changed overnight uh, in our world. And, uh, you know, with, re with regards to everything that we do and, and all the places that we go to. And, and so there are so many uh, things that are happening that we begin to wonder, you know, is, uh, are we prepared? Are we prepared? And one of the things I want to assure you as we do the study of, of uh, the book of Joshua is that you were born in the right time. You are uniquely equipped and prepared to be here right now. Have you ever wondered before, you know, uh, maybe you nostalgically would look back at a time period and think, boy, that would have been fun. Uh, you know, you look in the 1920s and you see the flappers, you know, dancing and stuff. That would have been cool, you know, to have been in the 1920s. Why was it that you and I are here today, not the 1800s, the cowboys and and uh, the, the great going west ventures and finding gold, uh, panning in the rivers. Why is it that you and I are here now in this time? And that is because you have been uniquely shaped for this hour. And the Joshua generation, they, you know, was uniquely shaped for that generation. Moses led a group of people who wandered around the wilderness for a very long time, got to the edge of the waters and uh, decided not to go across. They were unprepared for what God had in store. And as that generation began to pass away and, and uh, the next generation began to rise up, they, you, you begin to see the Joshua generation. And there were things that were unique to that generation that allowed them to cross over Jordan and take what God had given them. And so you and I, here we stand, in the midst of all the stuff that's going on in America and around the world, the pandemic, in the midst of the great social justice crisis, uh, uh, another gospel being preached um, that is, is seeking to divide us and, and move us apart, that we are called back to the, to the cross of Jesus Christ and to the message of Christianity, which is the message that heals the world, right? You and I are uh, children of the living God. It doesn't matter what race we are uh, from. It doesn't matter how much money you make, how how much or how little, uh, we have all been called by God, made by God, created by Him, formed by Him, and uniquely equipped to live right now. Turn to your neighbor and say, you were born for this, right? Just tell them. Come on, you a little more confidence there. You were born for this. Just tell them. 
have all the confidence in the world that you were born for this. Joshua chapter 5, uh, we're looking at, uh, beginning at verse 10. Joshua chapter 5, verse 10. If you're bringing your Bibles, be sure to bring a pen. You can highlight things that we're uh, looking at. Some of you are much more techy than that, and you're able to do that on your phone or iPad or whatever. And so feel welcome to use those Bible apps and highlight what uh, we're talking about today. So we're beginning at verse 10 in Joshua chapter 5. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at the twilight on the plains of Jericho. And they ate of the produce of the land on the day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. Let's read this together, verse 12. Then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land, and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. Isn't that awesome? Verse 13 says, And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and he looked, and behold, a man stood opposite of him, with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him, and he said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? Unique question that we constantly ask, right? Every time there's a crisis in a situation, our first question on the forefront of our, uh, uh, our, our minds, and we may not audibly say it, but it is our question, right? God, are you for us or are you for them, right? Anybody ever ask that question? Come on, let's be honest. Have you ever gone through something so difficult and so challenging and so counter uh, to what you think was the right way things should be going that you said, God, are you for me or are you for my enemies, right? We all find ourselves asking that question. And let me tell you uh, a shortcut. Here's a little tip. We're not going to talk a lot about this today, but that's the wrong question to ask. You need to be asking the question, God, am I on your side or on the enemy's? Because God is always on his own side, right? And here stands the commander, the Lord's armies. And uh, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Just so you know, I'm for neither side here. I am the commander of the Lord's army, and I'm for the Lord. Just make sure you're on the right team, okay? Because as we begin to march forward, you do not want to be against God. You want to be on his team, right? Absolutely. And Joshua fell on his face uh, to the earth, and he worshiped, and he gave, uh, and he said to the Lord, What does my Lord say to his servant? And then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals. This sound familiar earlier uh, with Moses. He had that uh, experience where he saw the burning bush that was not consumed. God said to him, Take off your sandals. You're on holy ground. He said, This place where you stand is holy, Joshua. And Joshua said, um, uh, so, and, and Joshua did so according to what he had said. And then it, skipping down, it's uh, to verse uh, Joshua chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. If you're following along with us, Joshua 6, verse 1. Now Jericho was securely shut up because the children of Israel, none went out and none went in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given you Jericho into your hand. Yes. It's king... And the mighty men of valor, you shall march around the city, all you and the men of war, and you shall go all around the city once. 
This you shall uh, do six days. And seven priests shall bear the seven trumpets of the ram horns uh, before the ark. But on the seventh day, you will march around the city seven times. And the priest shall blow the trumpets, and it shall come to pass when they make a long blast of the ram's horn, that when you shall hear the sound of the trumpet, that the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall flat, and the people shall go up, every man straight before him. Heavenly Father, every time we hear your word read, every time we read your word, we are inspired again because it is not just words on a page. It is life. Lord, the Holy Spirit breathes fresh into us again to remind us that no matter what is going on in the day that we live right now, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And so we are more than conquerors through Christ And we ask, God, that you would help us to see ourselves the way you see us as the Joshua generation, the conquering team, and help us to understand the principles of what happens when the manna dries up. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a a pattern of God's direction uh, in this story that, um, as a family in ministry, we're very familiar with. The manna stops when the promise is revealed. And as a family uh, in ministry all these years, uh, 40 plus years now of ministry, we uh, are very sensitive to that. We understand God's prompting when the manna dries up. And our journey to Texas uh, from uh, Las Vegas uh, was, you know, not immediately didn't lead to the post that you and I Uh, are together at today at the Grace Place. But we trusted God that he was leading us where he wanted us to go. All along during the seasons that we were not here with you and uh, we didn't know what the next provision opportunity would be, God was providing for us. God was taking care of us. And whenever that manna dried up, we began to realize that there was something on the horizon and it came close to first contact with you, with this church, that we began to realize other opportunities and things that God had provided were beginning to dry up. God was causing us to move along. God sent us to Texas. Um, We began to see the manna dry up in Las Vegas and the opportunity to to go forward and to advance for God's kingdom. And uh, he sent us specifically here, and we call this our home. Where God guides, we've always discovered he always provides, doesn't he? So wherever he leads us, he provides and takes care of us. Now, you and I, we have all been recipients of manna. Uh, We don't think of it that way. We sometimes will read in the Old Testament about the manna droppings from heaven. And uh, wouldn't that be great? You know, I don't have to fix breakfast. I just go put a bowl outside in the yard and, and manna would fall in it. I would bring it in and go, children, it's served. You know, let's everybody... Uh, have some. Uh, But you and I forget that we are recipients of manna from heaven all the time. We've received uh, from God what we can't produce on our own. And that's what manna is. We have received uh, God's grace. We've received God's mercy. We've received God's love, his kindness. We've received his hope. All of us have had experiences of God healing us when we, we needed it. Uh, manna represents something that God does that you and I can't do. And, 
And often the manna gifts that we've been received have been packaged in, in ways that surprise us, haven't they? Uh, you, you have uh, received a second chance from someone who notoriously give, does not give second chances. That's a manna gift, isn't it? <laughs> we received a financial blessing from someone who makes less money than we do. And that's a manna gift. We were welcomed by a stranger and given what we needed in that moment that you and I uh, had that encounter. It might have been words of encouragement. It might have been a warm place to stay. Uh, it might have been a meal. It might have been clothing. It might have been fixing my car when it was broken down. But all of us, haven't we, been recipients of manna from heaven, a gift from God we didn't necessarily deserve. He just gave because he, he knew we needed it and he took care of our needs. But there are lessons that we need to learn and can learn from the, as a Joshua generation, from when the manna dries up. Forty years, the Israelites awakened and manna was piled along the perimeter of the camp. Wouldn't that have been awesome? It was their wilderness nourishment as they traveled towards Canaan. Manna literally means, uh, in, in the original language, what is it, right? Because nothing on earth resembled it. Now, in the English Standard Version, Psalm 78, 25 says that the people ate the bread of angels. That's what they referred to manna as. The King James Version re rendered it, my, my brother's favorite kind of food, angel food, angel food cake. <laughs> That's what he always wanted for his birthday. And uh, the King James Version renders it angel's food. I mean, the way the psalmist wrote uh, of the wondrous opportunities that God gave the Israelites to partake in something that was kind of otherworldly, right? And uh, it, it absolutely was delightful. The people enjoyed it. It sustained them for all those years and didn't get old. Now, there was a time that they had had it a long time and, and asked for meat, and God provided that as well. But it was a food that, that took care of them, that sustained them, that, that kept them healthy and provided for them. What the psalmist was trying to say when he called the manna the bread of angels, we are not exactly sure. Does that mean that the bread of angels, uh, that, that angels prepared it? Their heavenly bakery must smell awesome, right? <laughs> and uh, we're going to get a look at that one day, right? Uh, could it have been that the bread of angels was because angels delivered it? They brought it and just kind of, and people would, you know, you got up really early and it was like Santa Claus, you know, uh, coming or something. You know, you, you'd see the angels just sprinkling this on the, the sides of the camp and stuff. And kids were like, oh, there it is, you know. Uh, was it something like that? Or could it have been that bread, called the bread of angels because angels feasted on it? It was their uh, food and, and their, their provision that they eat of. We'll find out one day, won't we? Maybe it was called the bread of angels for all of the aforementioned reasons and uh, all those things together. These are just conjectures, but several certainties that we know and we can highlight about manna. First of all, the Bible says that it was a delicacy that tasted like honey. Now, what's unique about honey is that it is uh, God's kind of saccharine balanced, right? Uh, a perfect commingling of flavors so that uh, otherwise they, they could not have tolerated the excessive sweetness. There was uh, not going to be any diabetes there or rotten teeth or whatever. This was a, a, a balanced kind of, of sweetness that, that made uh, for one wanting to eat it uh, and making it taste well. 
but also having the nutrition that was necessary uh, for them. Can you imagine how they prepared it? They baked it. They boiled it. You know, they uh, barbecued it. They fried it. They steamed it. They stewed it. They sauteed it. They smoked it. You'd have these probably, um, you know, chefs in, in Israel that like, uh, you know, they're doing something unique. And uh, so someone comes over to see, how are you fixing the manna? That was so good. And uh, they would come over and learn a new recipe. It was highly nutritious, we, we learn from Scripture. His dietary benefits were unquestionable since Israel consumed it for 40 years. And, and let's face it, God didn't uh, scatter snicker bars, right, <laughs> across the land. Uh, it gave uh, fortified dietary protein, vitamins, all those kinds of things. Uh, were there. Deuteronomy 34 and 7 says Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength abated. Now, do you want some of that manna, right? Yeah. <laughs> that would be pretty good, right? Uh, we also know that it was miraculously supplied. Uh, we, we, we know that uh, according to today's calculations, Israel gathered 9 million pounds of manna daily. 9 million pounds. That translates into 300 train boxcars, right? And twice as much as uh, was gathered on Friday, right? Because the next day was the Sabbath, the day of rest. And they were not allowed to go out and gather th at that time. So they had enough to carry them over on Friday. So that's 600 boxcars, train boxcars. Can you imagine that? And so... They would have to labor, and that was giving some good exercise too, right? Getting out there and gathering that up, and uh, you know, for uh, for their families, and so it was it was a wonderful, miraculous. But despite all the the miraculous implications, there's something clear about manna that we see in the passage that we've read today, and we also see it throughout Scripture because they were not allowed to hoard it or hold it over; it would it would spoil. God was teaching them to rely on him, and he delivered it daily. Depend on me, trust in me, I'm going to deliver it daily. But in today's passage, we learn something uh, also about the, it being temporal. We learn that it stops. And it stopped for the Joshua generation, and let's discover why the manna stopped. The manna was wonderful while it lasted, but it had a termination date. The manna stopped. When the promise was at hand, that was the first thing that we need to understand is about being the Joshua generation. The manna in your life, in my life, in our uh, country right now, in our nation, that is, has ceased is because God says, take the territory. You're living in the promise. That's the unique thing about the Joshua generation. They came to understand that they were not... They were no longer sojourners towards the promised land. They were in the promised land. Now, that doesn't mean, being in the promised land, that there's not going to be any battles, right? That doesn't mean that no one is going to argue with you or that there are not people that disagree with you or, or that we can dispense with good apologetics, right? Because, uh, oh, you know, we're, we're just, we're here. This is our promised place, you know? That, that just means that you are where God has placed you for this time and this season. Get your sword and shield. Take it. Yes. Amen. Amen. And then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land, and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of the Canaan, uh, Canaan that year. 
The people of the wilderness were looking for the promise, but the Joshua generation was recognizing we're living in the promise, right? We are living in the promise. So the first reason that the manna stops is because you are living in the promise. You are in the promise. And, and the first thing I think we need to do is just thank God we're living in the promised land, right? We are here. God has brought us here. And it's okay that that provision is not coming on a daily basis now because we are equipped to take what God has given to us. The second thing, the second reason that the manna stopped, the manna stopped so the people would start. The manna stopped so the people would start. We have come through now, I think, in the church uh, in America, a, a several decades of lethargy, where the church has been uh, a consumer-oriented. It's been um, something where people are very laid back about. It's shown up a lot when we you know, went through this difficult time here in 2020, and we went online, and, and uh, you know, we, we started recognizing that you know, uh, there has, there's been some real challenges that we haven't really been connected the way that God wants us to be connected. And so when the manna disappeared, we all begin to get this hunger. You know, those of us who are connected uh, with God and, and connected with his family, we begin to crave, you know, the coming together as community. We begin to crave uh, accomplishing what God had called us to accomplish, the mission that he had given us. And, you know, uh, I, I think about the, we read a moment ago, I was praying that way at the opening of this uh, message, you know, and it, and it inspired me uh, again to think about the two men that were walking with Jesus on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection. And, and Jesus just began to talk to them about the book, right? He began to, to, to speak to them about the word of God. And, and their testimony after Jesus departed, the road verged, Jesus went one way, they kept going the other way. They, they turned to one another and said, did not our hearts burn within us as he spake with us along the way? It was, it, it's, it's something that, that has been happening to me over the last couple of years is every time I hear the word of God read, it's, it's, it's just, it, I'm craving it, I'm desiring it, I'm wanting to dig deeper into it. But we've come off of this lethargy where, you know, devotions were, you know, optional and prayer time was, was maybe, you know, if it fits in the time scale. We've come to a place where, you know, we've seen the world in fear and a, a massive pandemic. And a lot of us have been saying, this is not a, a, an option. This is an essential. <laughs> the world's talked a lot about what is essential and tried to define various things as essential. But you and I have come to discover that what's essential is our relationship with God. Yeah, our time with Him, the Word of God, the family of God, gathering together. Crops needed to be planted. And so God says, you know, if I keep feeding you manna, you know what's going to happen? You're going to sit on the couch. You're going you're to relax, and you're going to be wiped out by the people of this land. You better get strong and get ready. Crops needed to be planted, homes needed to be built, warriors needed to advance and drive out the enemy. Hunger seems to motivate us, right? Yes. Have you ever heard the term hangry? You know, you hang out with a <laughs> you hang out with people who haven't eaten in a while and they get hangry, you know, and uh, all of a sudden, you know, uh, they just burst out, you know, and you're like, well, you haven't eaten, you know, um, let's, let's stop somewhere and get you some food, you know, I mean, 
And this is what happens to us. You know, when the manna dries up, we get hangry. And that's a good thing. You know, we, we need to pick our swords up and our shields up. God has given territory that you and I are intended to conquer. God used the natural hunger to bring about spiritual conquest in the lives of the people. They had a decision to make. You know, I remember when I first became, uh, got into ministry and I was, I was a youth pastor and they showed me this, this uh, office and it was, uh, you know, it was nice. It was white walls and undecorated and there was a desk and a chair and, and a typewriter back then. Uh, how many of you had the typewriter experience? And uh, I sat down that first day and I realized, you know, I'm going to have to do something. You know, this, uh, this, is, this youth group is just not going to grow itself. I'm going to have to get busy. i got to do something to get kids to come here and want to learn about Jesus. Or, you know, and, and so I was, I was hangry, so to speak. You know, there was, there was not going to naturally happen. I had to go out and do something. Our church was really small, and there were, there were only about five or six youth. And I had a goal that by the end of that, that first year, and it wasn't just a youth pastor, youth pastor, children's pastor, and janitor. So that was... Uh, Good job. And uh, so I recognized I had this window of time to work on youth to build them. My goal was let's have 15 by, the, by year end. What am I going to do? I started going to their high schools, meeting with them over lunch, meeting their friends, talking to them. You know, when we get hangry, <laughs> we start doing stuff, right? I thought, I'm going to be unemployed if I sit here for a month and just try to mess around with this typewriter and the, and the phone. I have to get out there and do something, right? Or else this is not going to grow. It's not going to happen. And so I recognized it was so important that uh, I go do something or I was going to be unemployed. <laughs> That's a motivation, right? And so the, here is the Joshua generation saying, you know, we can, we can eat or be eaten. You know, it's like we can, we can plant crops, um, you know, or, or we, can, we can be overtaken by the enemy. So we, can, we need to build some warriors up. We need to, we need to get a get going, man. We need to, to move. God has, is no longer going to drop manna in our lives. It's time for us to advance. And so we must decide, you must decide which side of the Jordan that you want to live on, right? And that, Joshua asked that question right before they crossed, you know, which side of the Jordan you want to live on? And really, some of the people decided to live on the other side in the wilderness. Um, they, they, didn't, uh, they, didn't, they couldn't see life without the daily manna and the things that are going on. And so Let's, let's stay over here. You know, they couldn't see uh, advancing and growing and, and doing the things that you're going to need to do to, to build the kingdom that God wants you to have right where you are. The wilderness side or the promised side? Which side do you want to live on? We've come to rely on certain things in our lives that, that always are available to us. Our manna as, as uh, Americans, as, as those who live in the United States of America, uh, in many ways, has been freedom to gather in this building to worship Jesus. We, we've seen signs now for years that that may not always be here, that that manna might dry up. What's going to happen if we are no longer allowed to gather here on this property? And it might not be the government saying, you know, you can't meet there. Uh, you, you know, it's, it's no longer legal for you to come together and meet in a building. What it will likely be is that churches will go on the tax rolls. Right now, churches benefit by holding property and buildings. They don't have to pay the kind of taxes that we do as individuals for our homes and our land. 
And when the tax collector comes and wants taxes on this property in this building uh, that would be like a commercial property or building, that's going to be huge. And we may not be able to live here anymore. And we can see those things on the horizon. 24-hour access to biblical preaching and teaching on the TV or the Internet. That was our manna, right? Lethargy uh, loves it. We could sit on the couch, and at our opportune moment, we could flip on the TV or flip on the Internet and tune in somebody that we wanted to hear preach or speak or a worship team, concert in my home, surround sound. I can listen to them. We're seeing signs that that may not always be available to us. The freedom to share your faith in a public fashion. Already, it's, that has been difficult, right? Even in, when I was in school, and that goes back to when we used to ride dinosaurs around, you know? Um, they, were, they were scared to death, teachers were, to have you talk about faith in class. And they didn't want to. They, they were worried about their jobs. And it's become worse. It's almost become now uh, there's generations of teachers who are about extricating Christianity and teachings like that from not only school, but from your um, child that is attending that school, right? National recognition of Christian holidays. We've enjoyed that. Haven't we, everybody, celebrating Christmas? And, uh, you know, there was a time in, in when our kids were younger, when I was younger, that we, we called uh, the break that you have for Christmas, Christmas break, right? We're all going on Christmas break. Now it's a winter uh, break, right? In your, in your calendars, in your public high schools and things like that. We're going on winter break. And uh, Christmas has been uh, a long time under attack in our uh, nation and in our world. Um, secularism has painted it as uh, just, just good feelings and family. And, and uh, there's, there's nothing really other special than that, except we're just recognizing this moment in time when, when this mystical person, Santa Claus, will m roll around the earth and uh, pass out these wonderful toys and, and that all of you uh, will receive a little something and you're together as family and you enjoy you know, all of these, these blessings of, of living uh, where you can have food and have family time together, right? And so that's been part of our manna is the recognition of those Christian holidays, Christmas and Easter and Thanksgiving and so on and so forth that we recognize and attribute grace uh, to one another and to, to God, and, and we glorify Him on these days. Will those always be there? Maybe not. Christian universities, where tomorrow's leaders are trained, are already um, facing some serious, serious implications as um, our government is making decisions that maybe they will not do student loans for people who go to Christian universities unless they adopt all the policies that the government believes that you should adopt and live by as a school, making it impossible for those who stand strong on the Word of God to do what they do. Will we see that day when Christian universities no longer exist as they do today in the way that we have them and enjoy them? Access to the Bible has been our manna. You know, we can find Bibles everywhere, right? We can find them in the hotel. I read uh, not long ago where um, there are, the, uh, the printing of the Bible is, is, you know, millions and millions every year, um, possibly even billions. But 
One of the reasons why there's reprint a lot is they lose a lot of Bibles uh, in public places like that where they have them. And, you know, people take them, take them, put them in their suitcase, and, which is a good thing. You know, it's, it's a great thing that people have the Word of God. But we always have access online and the Internet and physically to copies of the Word of God. There are countries who don't have it. There are countries right now in China who have only the Gospel of John torn out of someone's Bible and brought to them secretly. And their church meets regularly and reads through the Gospel of John, and that's it. Will you and I be facing that? We have enjoyed the manna, but will the manna dry up, and what will the Joshua generation do? In the past few years, we have seen indications that the manna might be stopping in various ways. To the fearful, this is bad news, but to the Joshua generation, this is good news, because it's like, this is the promise. It's time to go to battle. It's time for us to rise up and say and point people to the only way that works. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And I'll tell you what, I'm so excited about really what's happening in America today because really for so long the lines have been a little bit blurred, you know, and they are getting clear, right? People can see light from darkness. And this is an hour for the Joshua generation to rise up and be the light, right? Because it's so clear, and I think we're going to, that's part of what will be the last day revival is people will be able to clearly see the light from the darkness. They're going to go, that is much more attractive. I want to go where these people are going who love Jesus and have given their lives to him. We are in the promised land. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back. Previous generations only dreamed about where you and I are right now. They only dreamed that one day they might be there on the precipice of greatness. God's been doing some great things in our church locally. God's been doing some things. I'm talking to pastors. He's stirring. There's works that God is stirring all across our nation. Um, I'm excited. My brother and, and uh, in his church in Phoenix, they're meeting in a brand new location, a beautiful location. And uh, they're looking at possibly going to three services. God is is doing some incredible things across the nation. As I talk to people uh, and, and see, man, this is the Joshua generation, and people are getting excited about rising up in, in no matter what is going on in the world, they seize the moment of what God is doing right now. And I think the question for us is, is we let our hunger motivate us to worship, to praise, to serve, to hope. I want to encourage you to steer your energies uh, in the right direction. You know, we um, see a lot of activism in our world. If you want to be an activist, let me encourage you to be one for Jesus. <laughs> Everywhere you go, talk about him. Share your faith and your story. We started our Rooted class this past week, and there are so many great stories in that, in that room uh, of how people came to Jesus. My life, the trajectory of my life was changed when my dad, who was on his road to becoming an alcoholic, he was drinking and smoking, fighting to be a, uh, you know, hoping to be a golden glove boxer. And uh, he's, he's in that field, was, was moving in that direction. My 14-year-old, his 14-year-old sister, my, uh, my aunt, who was 14 at the time, told him about Jesus, invited him to go to church. It radically changed our pattern. 
He was headed for broken marriages. He was headed for uh, ruined life. He was headed for poverty. We were coming, we were in poverty. He was in poverty. Started at work when he was seven years old. His, uh, his mom was raising them by himself, his, the siblings, and, and uh, he, he had to work at seven years old. Uh, his, the money he made as a, you know, selling newspapers, he would put on the table and they would use to buy bread. And turned from that to where God has brought me today, it is a, it's a Jesus thing, right? The world, the world wants to know what will turn things around, what will make a difference, you know? And they're trying a lot of different kinds of things that they think will make a real difference on the planet. We know what makes a difference. Changes the trajectory. Will move you from poverty uh, in, into, uh, you know, a, a middle class or upper middle class, Living will give you a better opportunity to survive and, and to be all that God's called you to be. It will also uh, help prevent uh, broken marriages and broken relationships and put you on a pathway to purpose and mission. It's Jesus. We know the answer. And as a Joshua generation, let's share it. Will you stand with me and let's worship?